No, you can definitely do that while we're live. All right, yep, we're sure. live. What's up, guys? Uh, so we've got an episode tonight. This is this is going to be a fun one because a lot of guys ask me what I watch on YouTube, and you know, people think all I do is sit around watching red pill shit. And I really don't. I, I, I mean, I don't even have time to watch my friends' channels. You know, that I collab with on uh, Rule Zero and a different bunch of other different things, but. Um, I've been subscribed to Vigorous Steve probably for a good six months. Uh, I think ever since you're around like 10 or 12,000 subs, it's a very small channel. Um, mm -hmm. his, his knowledge and the way he covers um, stuff around bodybuilding, body, bodybuilding pharmacology, even like nutrition, nutraceuticals that you should use for longevity. He even talked about uh, personal experience with um, fatty liver uh, disease, and he had to kind of cure that himself. So there's a lot to cover tonight. Um, there's really a lot of interesting topics. So I hope you guys enjoy this. Um, let me just read his bio intro. So Steve is a retired bodybuilding contest prep coach who has guided competitive physique athletes worldwide. After years of one-on-one -on -one coaching, uh, he decided to share his expertise on YouTube to help a large, a larger group of men and women and spread awareness about safer practices regarding the use of performance-enhancing drugs. The Vigorous Steve YouTube channel discusses everything from nutrition training, health supplementation, mental health, the athlete's mindset, and the use of PEDs, uh, the intricate nuances that need to take place to ensure health and longevity, both short-term and long-term. Steve's been bodybuilding for 20 years, of which 11 were drug-free bodybuilding. For the last 10, he's experimented with various pharmacology, ranging from hormone replacement therapy, uh, that's TRT basically, uh, to full-blown bodybuilding cycles. He actively shares his personal experience and those of clients publicly on YouTube to better the community and drive the fitness industry forward. Welcome, exactly. Steve. Thanks so much for having me, Rich. It's uh, it's an honor and a pleasure to be on your show. I've been watching your content here and there, and it's always very enjoyable uh, to watch to give you a little bit of a unique perspective regarding entrepreneurship and women and and cars here and there. Right? It's 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 fun to talk with somebody that you're following. Yeah, and then you get to have uh, like a little bit of a discussion going on. And of course, uh, we're both running a little bit of hormone replacement. So yeah, sometimes a little bit, sometimes it's a little bit plus. Yeah, yeah, hormone <laughs> replacement plus. I always call it the TRT for bodybuilders. Yeah. And uh, that's a little bit more than the general hormone replacement therapy doctor is willing to prescribe. But, well, there's always self-prescription involved yeah, uh, when yeah. you start to hormonize. So how, how long, you've been on TRT for a while, Since correct? about 42 or 43, but I'll be honest okay. with you, like I actually pulled this off my bookshelf earlier because you'll probably recognize it. I don't know if that's something that, Oh yeah, for yeah. You. that's so an old one. Twenty-five odd years ago, I was I was basically reading about this stuff in my twenties when I was contemplating using uh, PEDs. You know, as a younger guy, but um, I was always pretty like ripped and had an easy uh, way to throw on muscle. Here, let me see if I can. I think I can pull these up while we're broadcasting. Okay, I can pull it up on the screen because I have one or two here that I have in a folder. But um, I never really had a hard time putting on muscle. Um, okay, that's good. And staying lean. Here's... So you figured you didn't need it until you actually needed it clinically. Here it is. All right. Yeah. So here I can show all of you guys some like before and after pictures because I don't usually share these too often. So it's going to come up on my screen and cooperate. It's perfect um, Instagram uh, content, you know, the before and after 10-year ten ten challenge. Yeah, figures <laughs> it doesn't work right now when you're trying to pull it up. It won't load. Yeah. Um, you're in um, Thailand though, right? Yeah. yeah and... It's 7 o'clock in the morning. You're originally <laughs> right from, I think you're Dutch. You're from Holland? Yes, that's correct. I'm from Holland and yeah, I decided I to move you. here. Well, I'm, I've been here permanent now for the last eight years. and uh, But I've been coming here since 2006. A friend of mine invited me. 
Mm-hmm. I've been going back and forth, you know, at first you were, I was still employed as a business consultant. And then, uh, you know, this YouTube thing and this, this bodybuilding coaching thing really started to take off. And then when I was self-employed, I was able to move here because most of my work is online. I and noticed, it's, it's I noticed on your um, Twitter, because I, because I tagged you when I you know promoted this just before I went live, that you mentioned mm-hmm. that you talked about um, at the time when you created your Twitter uh, stuff around um, lifestyle in Thailand. And mm-hmm. there's quite a few guys that I don't know personally, but have, have heard of and, you know, like you included that have chosen to set up residency there. Like, what's it like living there as a Westerner, it's like great. a white male? It's great. Well, r- right now it's not so great because we're in lockdown. Um, so all the all the good things about Thailand are not accessible, like, the you know, the plentiful restaurants and going to the gym, even though I can't go to the gym because I get a little bit of a VIP treatment. So I can go to a gym that's uh, technically closed. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, before the lockdown, right, there's a lot of freedom here. And within in Holland, a lot of things close early. There's not so much selection regarding things to do. And here, the selection is limitless, mm-hmm. basically. So I just felt a lot considerably f- better year round too, I bet. Yeah, the weather is considerably better. Uh, the women are a lot more friendly, uh, more easygoing, um, easier to get in touch with. So that mm-hmm. was one of the driving forces to move here uh, when I was 25, 26. Just easier to get in touch with people. Like in Holland, I felt that people are very, very cold. Not easy to get in touch, whether that's the men or the women. And when you're a bodybuilder, you get a little bit stigmatized, a little bit stereotyped. Mm-hmm. And I didn't feel that here. I felt at home for the first time in my life. So the then the exodus starts to happen, you know, after 25 years of life, you go to another country and you feel at home, mm. which is yeah, I can see it's that. weird. There's you another guy um, I came across, Tony Huge. I've seen him mm-hmm. talk to Leo and like, yeah. it sounds like he lives more of the player life. Like he's just got like this rotation of women and he's like, yeah, it's it's just awesome. Great. And all that sort of thing. You're married though, right? Like you I'm married. I, I, yeah. The M word. I'm not sure if it's allowed yeah. on this channel. <laughs> no, no, it's allowed. Hey, you know, it's fair game. I mean, like I, I tell guys to do whatever they want. Like marriage in the West is a bad idea. And I've talked about that many yeah. times. I'm sure you've seen that. So, uh, well, maybe sure. we can talk about that in that cast too. But like here, let me just go back to the original point that I was talking about with like putting on mm-hmm. muscle. Because I found that, that that picture and it popped up. But mm-hmm. this one here is about, I'm going to say I was 29, 30-ish there. And this That's is about physique, 41 yeah. or so. Now, this is pre-TRT. Okay. Right. Um, didn't, didn't really change much. So I never really had a hard time, you know, like putting on muscle and like, mm-hmm. you know, keeping it, but I always had that interest in performance enhancing drugs because I, if I'm being honest, I probably had, um, they called it bigorexia when I came across it in muscle media yeah. magazines, you know, with Bill Phillips and stuff like that. And it's like, you know, you never feel like you're big enough. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, it's, you bench, you know, three, three and a half plates, you squat three, you know, three or four plates. And you're like, you know, you want to get to five or six and you see those guys in a magazine, you just keep pushing and pushing and you mm-hmm. can never achieve the size that comes with the strength. So you kind of like have this mental image in your mind that you should be bigger, but there's, but there's a cost associated with that. Isn't mm-hmm. there like, you know, it does a number on your, jo- on your, uh, bones, you know, your joints, your ligaments, your, your organs. Body. Yeah, your whole your body. Your whole body, really. The, like the bodybuilding, what you see in the magazines, that's just a picture. And it doesn't represent the what's going on internally. So that's why we, like in the beginning, people started using steroids for bodybuilding because there was only bodybuilding. Hormone replacement therapy didn't really exist unless it was like real clinical androgen deficiency. Mm-hmm. And then people didn't go to, to puberty and that kind of stuff. And most of the steroids that were designed 
were designed for other medical purposes, right? Uh, sarcopenia, muscle wasting disease, uh, bone mineralization issues, and Mastron was even used to help uh, mitigate breast cancer right, mm. in women. So that's a steroid being prescribed to women. Now, the bodybuilding world started adapting that and then, of course, developed phenomenal physiques with that. But a lot of people use dosages that are way higher that are medically prescribed. And um, like for the TRT guys, we have a little bit of an image that steroids are going to give this physique that we see in the magazine or or on Instagram or YouTube, which in reality is not the case um, because the pharmacology involved to be a bodybuilder is far and far, far higher than what we do for well-being, anti-aging, right? To have a little bit stable serum concentrations of your testosterone, estrogen, and, and get more productivity out of it. So there's there's a big difference. And, and if you want to be a bodybuilder, well, you're going to have to bump up the dosages far beyond hormone replacement. Yeah. But if, you, you, if you, you started out as a natural bodybuilder, when did you start, yeah. um, you know, experimenting with PEDs? When I was 26. So I started bodybuilding when I was 15. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I, I did not respond so well. I'll be the first one to say it. Like my pictures did not look as good as yours. I was trying to make career like business came first mm-hmm. and I would put bodybuilding second. So I would do the meals, I would do the training, but I was not living like a full-time bodybuilder where everything revolved around training and eating and, and maximizing that avenue because, well, up until social media, there was no real money in it. And I always Yeah, well, there's realized- still not a lot of money in it today unless you have a large audience, right? uh well you'll be surprised like some guys are really banking on it really even yeah yeah through social media of course because like if you're just localized and you're a personal trainer you're not really banking but through social media with all the discount codes and uh, offering services coaching consultations and ebooks and and there's a decent amount of money to be made okay but when i started and when you started there was no social media to promote your uh avenue so i I never really thought about taking steroids because I was happy with how I looked. I mean, for the business world, I was already too big, right? Mm-hmm. Being a natural was saying too big. And then uh, when that business thing kind of fell apart due to the economic crisis in 2008, 2009, that's when I decided, you know what? Bodybuilding is my passion. I'm going to see what the fuss is all about. And I mm-hmm. started with a cycle. So, But that was after 11 years of uh, drug-free bodybuilding. Yeah, mm-hmm. And, and I had a, and like, what did you do for a cycle at that time to like enter into the competing world? Um, 250 tests per week, which was half of what was generally recommended online. Uh, they recommend 500 tests and uh, the Anibal kickstart. I just made a video yeah. about that. Yeah. will be online shortly. Um, and I, it didn't ma- really make much sense to me because you saw a lot of these cycle logs on uh, the steroid forums and people would get a ton of side effects. Within week five or six, and and so I figured, you know what, I'm going to start low. Like the at that time, hormone replacement therapy was already present, mm-hmm. so I just started with a little bit higher than hormone replacement, and I, I had good results. And is that something that you run year round, or is it like you'll use it to try to you know build a physique, compete, you know, do a photo shoot, and you kind of taper it back to like HRT levels, like a like a therapeutic dose to try to keep you at a consistent level. So at the time I ran a cycle for 16 weeks because blasting and cruising wasn't really understood and, and I'd coming down to a lower dose wasn't really popularized yet. We were talking about 10 years ago, mm-hmm. so I'm 37 now. And so I, I did my cycle. I came off, I did post-cycle therapy Is this? and then I uh, traveled. To, no, that's, that's a recent picture. Oh, that's recent. So that's like, after, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. 
No, nobody looks like this on their first cycle. They'll yeah, I was, I was trying to scroll through here because there was one in here where you just look like a huge tank. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, here you got the shoulders like boulders, right? Yeah. Yeah, here was still a pretty saucy. Yeah. So there, there's some on my Instagram. There's, there, there's yeah. some old picture. Yeah. Yeah, but like every year always, ago. always big, like like always a big dude. What's your um, height and weight normally? Um, right, um, I'm five nine, so that's 174, 75 centimeters. Okay, and I I think the heaviest I got to was like 255 pounds, 115 kilos. Wow, that's now, that's a lot of muscle for for that height. Yeah, yeah, and, and the weird thing is, like, when you're that big, you don't see how big you are. You still think you're too small. No, you're because you're actively. You're yeah. actively trying to chase that. And then you see a picture next to a normal individual. Yeah. And you're like, man, I didn't realize how... <laughs> really? Right? Because you're always comparing yourself to other bodybuilders. It's yeah. like, that's where the bigorexia and, and a little bit of the curse comes into play because you surround yourself in that little niche, little circle of astronomically huge dudes. Yeah. And you always think you're the smallest. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's where the abuse comes into play. So, um, right. I, I took some time off. I did another post psychotherapy recently um to resolve that non-alcoholic fatty liver disease which came from the lifestyle and now that's completely how did you resolved. get that like like talk about that because you went off all peds everything changed your diet mm -hmm. completely like I, I was following your updates when you were doing that okay um you lost a lot of weight and muscles yeah. you know not as much muscles you you'd think but i mean a lot of it came back but i mean you also started doing things like icing your balls and trying to like yeah. kickstart your own um testosterone production which it looked like you're quite successful like one of the questions a lot of people ask me whenever i start leaning into like trt conversations i don't i'm by no means a uh, research expert like i lean on guys like you and jay campbell and a few other people that i look towards plus the literature that i've read but i mean like uh, it seemed like it was pretty easy for you to kickstart your own testosterone production to healthy levels right yeah yeah i'm a Listen, I didn't need it medically. When I was 26, my testosterone was around 650 nanograms per deciliter. Mm -hmm. So that's middle middle of the reference range. And I think I could have gotten it higher with the information that I have nowadays, right? I'm, I learned a lot more since the age of 26. Mm -hmm. So when I decided to come off after blasting, cruising, and you know, you do a bodybuilder cycle, you go back to hormone replacement, to clean out, get healthy, do a bodybuilder cycle again. And I did that for about eight years straight. Now, this lifestyle, uh, the high foods, Right? taking health supplements, uh, never really giving your body a break from steroids, um, ultimately gave me non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And I, I think that I have a genetic predisposition for it. Mm -hmm. because What is that family, if you can define it for the viewer so they know what that is? The non-alcoholic fatty liver disease? Yeah. Yeah, so that's buildup of fat within the liver. Now, naturally, there is fat present in the liver. Mm -hmm. It's normal. You have about three, four, 5% fat in the liver. I mean, it's an organ and most, most organs have a little bit of fat. That's totally healthy. But as fat builds up over time, um, you develop a, a disease called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. You have alcoholic fatty liver disease that's induced by alcohol mm -hmm. that later leads into steatosis and uh, fibrosis. And so that's very difficult to resolve. So when it's but not I'm, alcoholic, it's a, it's a result of diet lifestyle. Did, did, did PEDs, yeah. you know, contribute to the damage to your liver? Yes. It did. Okay. Yes, but not in the direct sense. It's more that because I didn't come off, so I didn't really come off, off, not even hormone replacement. Okay. Um, because when you have super physiological amounts of testosterone, so it's higher than natural production, your stem cells in the liver are not able to restore the amount of hepatocytes, which are the liver cells, mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. um, to have a healthy liver again. So some people go down to hormone replacement therapy, like true hormone replacement therapy being 100, 125 milligrams of testosterone per week, which I could have done, right? I could have done to real hormone replacement therapy and then resolve the issue. Mm-hmm. But I figured, okay, I'm not going to be a bodybuilder. I'm not going to eat so much. And I took these steroids for bodybuilding. So why not recover and see if I can get my fertility, my testosterone levels and all that stuff back? Mm-hmm. Because again, and I maybe proved to myself that I need it medically, which I don't. And because my testosterone came back with all the efforts that I put into it. So that was icing the testicles. And right, as silly as it sounds, it's you put an ice pack and wrapped in a towel 20 minutes around your testicles three times per day. And it helps with fertility and testosterone production. It sounds absolutely yeah. silly, but it worked. Yeah, I've heard that with cold showers and ice baths. So I can see how that would yeah. help. Were there any other supplements that helped to restart your own production and get your testosterone levels back to a healthy level? Like, did you use anything like Tongat Alley? Did you use a supplement with zinc, boron, copper? Yeah, all that. So all I, I did not use uh, Tongat Alley, but I used ashwagandha root extract, which uh, also has some clinical evidence that it raises testosterone concentration. So I mm. took... In the beginning, I took away more like 900 milligrams and then I kind of tapered it down because there's an effective dose. And then there's, of course, a dose that's a little bit overkill. And I took the zinc and the selenium and the carnitine and the taurine and, and making sure I was in a caloric surplus. I had every little vector that you can optimize to recover testosterone production and to get the most amount of testosterone um, while, while you're recovered. I, I tried besides um, red, red light therapy. Red light so you therapy do is supposed to help yeah. too, yeah. Right, and then the, I heard another light. couple, right, another couple of guys that rub uh, vitamin D three under testicles. Right. <laughs> yeah, listen, there's there's a million Bro different science, ways. That, right, right. So whatever works works, right? I, I what don't about really the talk about Ali? Why don't you touch that? Because there was a guest that um, Joe Rogan had on recently that said that they had studied Huberman. that. Yeah, Huberman. Yeah. 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 I um, I've heard a lot of anecdotal evidence that it didn't work. Okay. And I've, I've seen anecdotal evidence that the ashwagandha root extract worked. Okay. So I decided to go with that one. And so I, and I figured, you know what, it's going to take some time anyway. Um, so I can always put it in later. Right. And if so, I recall, I think you got your levels back up to basically like around the 600 the level. Yeah. yeah. 600. Which yeah. is pretty incredible. Cause I mean, one of the things that, that, that typically happens when you like get on TRT or like, you know, performance enhancer drugs or a bodybuilder dose is your own production shuts down because your body just says, oh, well, we've got plenty of this stuff in our blood, so we don't need right. to make our own. And mm-hmm. then after a while, supposedly, you know, the theory is, is that your testicles get lazy and they just don't really restart. Um, but I mean, right. you were on it for quite a while and you managed to restart them just fine. Yeah. And what I see is it's not exactly the testicles that get lazy, but it's the pituitary or the hypothalamus. So when you shut down your uh, testosterone production, it's a signal, right? The hypothalamus to the pituitary to the testicles, and then they start producing testosterone again. It's not the testicles that's the issue. It's either the hypothalamus or the pituitary. So that's why we do post-psychotherapy with all these fertility drugs to restart that signal. But if you take a human chorionic gonadotropin, Mm-hmm. Uh, which signals the testicles to produce testosterone, which then cascades into fertility, you see that testosterone comes back normally. And if you run it long enough, the testosterone production comes up quite high and the fertility improves also, which mm-hmm. takes about 90 days. That's why I was off so long because I wanted to see that the non-alcoholic fatty liver disease was already resolved a long time ago. I just wanted to see how high my fertility would come back, which it came back perfectly also. 
Did you have any other damage to any of your other organs? Because I know that the liver itself is quite robust. It it's mm-hmm. it's it's like one of the organs that you can do a ton of damage to do, and and you can really bring it back. Yeah. From what I've heard, you know, reasonably e- easily, you know, kidneys are a different story. But did you have any other mm-hmm. damage to any of the other organs? No, so luckily just no. Okay. Yeah, just the liver, and that's it, purely from the, the high food intake and and never really taking a break and always being a little bit higher than true hormone replacement. Mm-hmm. Um, so the liver had non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which now with right, ultrasounds and fibro scans and and doing my blood work frequently, that's now completely resolved. No issues with my kidneys, normal glomerular filtration rate, normal cystatin C levels. All my blood work is good. I've done ultrasounds of my kidneys, normal, mm-hmm. no inflammation, no kidney stones, no nothing. Mm-hmm. I've done an MRI on my heart, normal size, surprisingly, because mm-hmm. I, I would expect a little bit of an athlete's heart, but I've been so proactive to prevent that, that my heart is a normal size with normal ejection fraction and and uh, no coronary artery disease, no plaque buildup. So... What have you used to maintain your heart health and size so it doesn't get enlarged? Like, like are we talking things like uh, coenzyme Q10, uh, yes. ubiquinol? Mm-hmm. Ubiquinol, so I take 200 milligrams per day. It's pretty high dose. And then I take it also around the workout, which gives a little bit of a performance-enhancing benefit because you're supplying energy and antioxidants to the heart, allowing it to work at full capacity. Mm. And when you train for bodybuilding, of course, the training intensity is quite high, right? So your heart is under a lot of stress. And while you're giving all your other body parts a break, and you train legs one day and then back the next day and chest the next day, but your heart five times a week is getting hammered. So I put everything in place to ensure heart health, which is 400 milligrams of Bicunol on training days, mm. sometimes 500 milligrams. And I yeah. started taking a beta blocker to keep the heart rate down. So you always... Right, you're not in this uh, sympathetic state where you're always like ang- a little bit hyped up after training. What's a like? Is that a is that something that you need to get scripted from your doctor? Or is that something you can get over the counter as far as a beta blocker? Because I mean, like one of the things I've noticed because I wear this aura ring to track my sleep and my heart rate and mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff is my average heart rate is a little bit higher than what I think it should be. Like it's around. I mean, on low days it might be in low fifties, but it's usually fifty nine to sixty three. Like even when I'm asleep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You can get that down. Yeah. Yeah. So a beta blocker, it depends on the country. Um, so here I can buy it over the counter. It's one of the good things about Thailand. I can get 99% of what I want over the counter. Um, but no maybe, script. Maybe you just go to the pharmacy or the chemist and build no, it. just go to the pharmacy. You walk in, you said, I need Nebulet, which is a uh, Nebivalol, yeah, the, the pharmaceutical brand. And they, they'll give it to you, you know, as long yeah. as you pay for it. It's yeah, I'd cheap, have to convince but... my doctor to script it and they're always tight yeah. about everything. Right. So, and that's why there's online pharmacies, but then you're running the risk of importation, right? There's, there's always a risk of, of prescribing stuff online, um, self-prescribing stuff online, but it's basically the bodybuilding scene anyway. I mean, you're self-prescribing because we're taking more than hormone replacement. So you get quite resourceful figuring out where to get stuff um, besides what you're able to get on prescription. And if you need a prescription, well, there's always methods to negotiate with your doctor Mm-hmm. To get it prescribed, right? Because Nebulet, there's no underground labs, or uh, Nebivolol, there's no underground labs that produce that stuff. So you have to get pharmaceutical grade. Uh, I'll I'll uh, tell you a story in a minute that, like, you know, yeah. literally late, made my TRT doctor jump out of his chair when I ha- had to go through some labs. But um, I'm just going to try to catch these super chats as they come in. Uh, mm-hmm. So did you know, Matt yeah. says, what do you wish you knew about tests when you were young that you know that you know now? I guess is the full question. Um, 
all esters are the same if you do your do, uh, injection frequency more frequently. So I just started again a cycle after being off for about eight and a half months. And oh, oh, other side, um, man, acne is coming back already. Mm -hmm. So that's because of hormonal fluctuations. So even though if you take a longer testosterone ester twice a week, if you inject that every day, you get more stable serum concentrations. And one of the issues with taking steroids is these hormonal fluctuations causing too much conversion into estrogen, which then you have high test and then high estrogen and then high test and high estrogen. And this fluctuations contributes to acne or gynecomastia or water retention or maybe hair loss because the, the testosterone converts into dihydrotestosterone, which is one of the uh, causes for hair loss. Now, I think for you, that's really not an issue. Um, and for me, neither it is because you chose to be right shaven. Yeah. And, and I seem to be immune for hair loss, but everybody gets some sort of side effect, right? Whether that's acne or hair loss or gynecomastia or water retention. Those yeah. are like the, the, the low hanging fruit side effects that are almost immediate. And what I wish I knew is that regardless of the testosterone formula that you're taking, if you administer that uh, every day, you mitigate a lot of these side effects. One of the questions I, I get a lot from guys uh, like on T is essentially, well, aren't you going to lose your hair? And I mean, the way that I handle it, I'd love to hear your feedback. The way that I handle it is, is if you're predisposed, like if you were already losing your hair before you added therapeutic doses of testosterone, you're, you're, you're probably going to continue to lose your hair or it may accelerate it. But if you've never been really losing much of your hair pre-TRT, it's, it's probably not going to do anything, right? Yeah, generic uh, predisposition highly contributes. So you have a, a, a condition called androgenetic alopecia, which is basically uh, the same as benign prostate enlargement. Mm -hmm. And then it's it's mostly hereditary. It's how your body responds to dihydrotestosterone. DHT, yeah. Yeah, and it also depends on how much dihydrotestosterone you're producing. So funnily enough, I produce a ton of dihydrotestosterone. My testosterone is in the middle of the range, and my my dihydrotestosterone is two and a half times out of the reference range. Yet, I have no hair loss. It's not in my family. And I have no uh, prostate enlargement, which is confirmed with ultrasounds multiple times. Mm. So it really depends on how much you're converting and how uh, predispositioned you are to the response of that. Now, if, you're, right, if, you're uh, if your response is severe... Mm -hmm. then all the dihydrotestosterone derivatives are off the table, the primabolin, the anivar, the winstrol, the masterone, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, so right, all you have to do is look at your parents or grandparents. If they're mm -hmm. bald, you're going to get bald, and you have to put some preventative measures in place to prevent that from happening. And there's, well, a million different methods, which I'm not familiar with because I didn't have to, I, I never had to deal with the hair loss. So that's yeah, why we have a... You know, Derek for more place, more dates. He's highly specialized. Yeah, I was going to say hair loss prevention. <laughs> yeah, if you want to learn how to keep your hair, um, you know, watch this channel because he's got tons of videos on yeah. strategies to try to hold. I'm of the just shave your head club. Um, yeah, I've, me I've, too. I've used um, you know primabolin on on top of TRT. I've I've used um, you know like Anavar on top of TRT, and those are the ones that he's talking about that convert that can be problematic if you're predisposed to. Hair loss. I wanted to ask you about the enlarged prostate thing because um, I, I've heard conflicting stories on it. I've heard DHT is a contributor to enlarged prostate issues, and I've seen other uh, doctors and even guys on YouTube. I think Dr. Eric Berg is one of the more prominent mm -hmm. ones with a large channel. 
um, say things like, uh, I think it was estrogen and insulin are the causes of enlarged prostate. What's your take on that? It's, it's one of those organs that's, uh, responds to a lot of different things, including stress. Like what I saw in the, um, when I was still consulting and you're surrounded with consultants around 50 years old and are in a high stress environment, 24 seven, they get all sorts of issues, hair loss, prostate enlargement, um, all kinds of issues. When you say so, stress, like, like, like stress measured as cortisol levels in the blood. Yeah. Well, okay. one of those. And of course, like stress is also something uh, self-induced how you respond to particular situations. Now, Nubivalol helps with that because it keeps your sympathetic nervous system down a little bit and, and your heart rate down as well. So you're able to be a little bit more uh, stress resistant that way. Uh, that's one of the also uh, hidden reasons why I take Nubivalol, right? Because being self-employed is also self, uh, a little bit of a stressful environment because there's so much influx of work. Mm. Now, for the guys that are in a high stress environment, that could have a compounding effect on prostate enlargement. Same as the dihydrotestosterone. Same as um, there's a condition called varicose cells, which is the impaired blood flow to the testicles, whether that's from testosterone therapy or um, just pure circulation or uh, having the area too hot. Mm -hmm. That can also cascade into prostate enlargement. So there's a lot of new evidence coming out why prostate enlargement um, occurs. And right from the steroid world, the problem is the guys that are running uh, very high dosages of steroids and never really honest about what's going on in their body because they don't want to, they don't want to say that they're having a complication later on in life. Mm -hmm. So we see some clinical evidence that uh, dihydrotestosterone and, and steroids cause some prostate enlargement, but personally, I haven't seen that really to happen, but Right, the, the clinical literature say that benign prostate enlargement occurs slowly over time due to dehydrotestosterone. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe you don't have it at the age of thirty, but by the age of fifty, you might have it. Do do, so, do do males make more DHT in their body as they get older? Because I mean, one of the things that um, I've heard is that um, like it's a normal process for your prostate to enlarge as you get older as a male. So don't yeah. worry about it too much unless it, it, it turns into something problematic like cancer or mm -hmm. your PSA markers, you know, spike and there's other things to look at. Um, so is it, so is it your body making more DHT as you get older? No, it's a cumulative effect over time, which makes it a little bit tricky because if you're a bodybuilder or you're, you're doing TRT plus and you take a dihydrotestosterone derivative that then mm -hmm. compounds, on top of the dihydrotestosterone that you're producing naturally or, or converting from the testosterone. So now let's say you're drug-free until the age of 25, you have a certain burden of DHT on your prostate, and then you go on Primo, you know, five times higher than uh, your natural DHT levels. This is compounding into benign prostate enlargement, which mm -hmm. might accelerate it over time. Okay. And I haven't seen it in my immediate surroundings, and I'm in touch with a lot of bodybuilders who take a lot, a lot of dihydrotestosterone derivatives yeah. so i think it's it's just a compounding effect same as with acne and 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 gynecomastia all these organ issues it's usually multifactorial and uh, the best we can do is just monitor it with organ imaging and blood work and, and then make the appropriate actions but i've seen more benign prostate enlargement with guys who are not using steroids who are in high stress environments and don't really take care of their health smoking drinking uh you know to take the edge off of work Mm -hmm. And those guys usually get far worse uh, organ issues than the guys that use steroids and take care of their health, low stress environment and exercise frequently. Mm -hmm. So right, all these things you just have to keep track of. And 
some guys get unlucky. I did. Their response is far worse than general population and their, their organs are not agreeing. Same as with me with the non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Because mm-hmm. I know people who did far worse, right? Food-wise, steroid-wise, and, uh, and, and didn't have any issues with their liver. What's the, um, like, what was the signal that, you know, caused concern with the fatty liver disease? Like, was it a distended abdomen? Like, was it blood work? How did you pick I up I didn't on catch it? it. I didn't catch it. As much as I know um, about organ health, I did not catch it because the symptoms of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease are not that apparent when you're a bodybuilder. Um, so I did not have high triglycerides in the bloodstream. I did not. Mm-hmm. I had a little bit of issue getting leaner. But as a bodybuilder, like, okay, I'm getting a little bit older. Maybe my metabolism is coming down. Um, like if you have fat in the liver, it, it makes it difficult to lose body fat. That's one of the side effects, oh, I see. immediate side effects, right? Okay. I didn't have any jaundice or anything else that would indicate an impaired liver function. No, the like yellowing levels. of the uh, eye? No, like the I, I've never had my bilirubin levels out of range. Interesting. Um, so I think it's it just, and, and your liver enzymes are a little bit elevated, mm-hmm. but when you train very, very hard, your liver enzymes elevate also because these enzymes are also found in skeletal yeah, you, muscle. You stress your body a little bit more too. Right. So, and then I would take a week off from training and everything would kind of fall back into baseline. And then I would assume, okay, I'm good. And then I did some organ imaging right, as a routine checkup. And then I was diagnosed with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. But I think that happened over maybe three or four years. Mm. Right? Because um, as, as you want to get bigger, you eat more food. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's like one of the things that stresses your body and your organs is, is yeah. high, high caloric, you know, consumption. That's why there's a lot of, um, you know, medical experts that are, that are talking more and more about fasting and, you know, like giving your, mm-hmm. you know, given like the road works a little bit of a break. So you take food Absolutely. out of the equation. Right. Yeah. Um, I've never heard you talk about met- metformin. Um, and that's one of the, uh, drugs that's been, it's probably one of the most well-researched drugs and, I've got a good friend who um, basically says, you know, the trifecta that, that, that you want to take for longevity and for health is TRT, uh, metformin. What was the other one that he had? Oh, and uh, Cialis, you know, for like kidney health yeah. and, and heart health and vascular, you know, dilation, that sort of stuff. And, and uh, another performance, but that's somewhere else. Of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's right. a ha- but, added uh, benefit, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've got a lot of benefits. But I mean, like, what's right. your take on metformin? Because I've never heard you talk about it. So usually I talk from the context of bodybuilding, which, which is now slowly which, changing, right? Which, um, by the way, guys, so you know what it is, in case you're unfamiliar, it's a drug normally given to diabetics to help manage their blood sugar. Right. So the, the pharmacology of metformin is as following. Um, it's a drug that lowers glucose release from the liver. And in, as a result of that, it also lowers gastric emptying. So it keeps the um, serum concentrations of your uh, blood glucose more stable increasing insulin uh, sensitivity over time, right? So normally when you eat a meal, you digest it quite rapidly in the beginning. And then, so your, your concentrations go up and then kind of come down. And as they're very, very high, same as a bigger injection of testosterone, or that's where the side effects occur. So the metformin helps to regulate your glucose levels, allowing your body adequate time to absorb the glucose into the muscle and, and not have this, like this super pulse of insulin following a meal. Um, so in this action, it improves insulin sensitivity and the added benefit of metformin is that it also lowers IGF-1 secretion in the liver, which as a bodybuilder, you kind of want because IGF-1 helps with nutrient partitioning, nu- nutrient uptake, and eventually results in uh, muscle growth, right? If you train for bodybuilding. So 
usually the bodybuilders avoid the metformin. But as you get older, you realize, you know, life is finite. And I don't want so much anabolism and growth and, and all that stuff going on in my body. It, it's better to reduce the IGF-1 and then not be so subject to aging. So this is why we take metformin, because IGF-1 is directly correlated with aging. So if you keep your IGF-1 levels down, you age less rapidly. But it also means that you recover less rapidly. Now you have testosterone to compensate, and most guys are in testosterone and growth hormone a little bit which secretes IGF-1, but then you blunt that with metformin. Mm -hmm. But it's the funny thing about hormone replacement. You start with one direction, and then it gets a little bit more complicated as you uh, notice the benefits of each compound. So yeah, but it, but are it's you a, very a supporter of it for, for, for aging men, or like what you take I on? think so. Yeah, yeah, I think by the age of 40, you should, be, you should add it in. And, but if you have the aspirations to be a phenomenally large bodybuilder, um, then there, there's no place for it. But for anti-aging, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, and I, I might consider to add it in in the future because, right as of now, I have no aspirations to be gigantic anymore. I'm trying to keep my weight down so I don't have these these health issues come back. What's your ideal weight for you know the optics of you know strength about, and masculinity? I think about 95 kilos, 200 mm -hmm. pounds. Yeah, yeah, especially in in Asia. Like I noticed that besides the interaction with people and how you positioned with women it's also uncomfortable yeah being being big right and the, usually my cutoff is about 200 225 pounds and i'm yeah. not not the tallest guy so it's already pretty heavy for me so that's where i'm trying to keep it yeah let me uh let me catch up on some of these uh questions in super chat steve please comment on what you on what some see as the overuse of ai so that's aromatized inhibitors which basically uh limit the conversion of testosterone to estrogen in the man's body a lot mm -hmm. of uh cookie cutter clinics in north america will just say here's 200 milligrams of testosterone here's an ai tab take every three days and yeah. go off and have some fun um would be great for the community here so what's your take on ais generally speaking so there, there's some unique side effects of uh, aromatized inhibitors which are usually related to low estradiol so if you overuse aromatized inhibitors, you get low estrogen, which then cascades into all kinds of issues, right? Libido issues, uh, joint pain, uh, horrible lipid levels. And, and of course, hormone replacement therapy is going to change your lipids anyway. So you need a little bit of uh, estradiol to help uh, with cardio protection to keep your HDL and LDL ratio favorable. Mm -hmm. So the overuse of AIs is it's very easy to mitigate that. You go in for blood work, you check your estradiol and your lipid levels, and you make an adjustment. Now, the cookie cutter clinics, they will put you on tests and, and uh, a Remedex, right? Um, which in a lot of cases is not required. Like if you change your injection frequency, even though it's more cumbersome, you go with daily injections, 25 milligrams, 35 milligrams, however many milligrams you feel comfortable with, you get more stable serum concentrations of testosterone and more stable serum concentrations of estradiol. Maybe you don't need an aromatized inhibitor or... You get your body fat levels lower because a lot of the testosterone converts into estradiol in the body fat. Yeah. So you see a lot of guys that go on TRT. Like TRT nowadays is like the new uh, midlife crisis sports car. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. You know, yeah. like hmm, feel a bit old, low libido, not really motivated, uh, not financially secure enough for a sports car. Or you see it as a poor investment. And maybe I should do some TRT. But but you you need to be in a, in a good state of health and and have low body fat levels at least below 12%. And then the outcome of going on TRT is far more positive 
then uh, going in, going on TRT when you're sick and stressed and fat and right and unhealthy, and you're still not following the lifestyle of of right making your own food and going to the yeah. gym and that kind of stuff. So plus, then the dose is usually higher uh, to get the same good feeling um, than a guy that's already healthy and, and can get away with far less. So with TRT, there's there's a lot of methods to manage your estradiol, including TRT plus. That's what I'm doing. 150 milligrams of testosterone per week and then 100 milligrams of primobolin on top because primobolin acts as a uh, reversely binding aromatized inhibitor. It takes the place of testosterone in the aromatizing en enzyme and just like arimidex or aromacin or privirin, it just temporarily blocks it. Well, aromacin permanently blocks it, but it, it temporarily blocks testosterone from entering the aromatized enzyme. And because uh, primobolin doesn't convert into estradiol, um, now testosterone is not allowed to convert into estradiol. So you keep your levels very stable. Yeah. And I found for myself, it works very well to have testosterone and primobolin in about a one-to-one -one ratio to, um, right, you get the additional anabolism of primo, you get a little bit leaner gains, right? You don't hold so much water, subcutaneous water, yeah. more quality muscle idea, a better appearance. So about 150 tests, 100, 125 milligrams of Primo, which is obviously TRT plus, mm -hmm. but I'm still a bodybuilder. So I, I, I feel that I need a little bit more. And that's basically the new way to approach it. So you don't even need an aromatized inhibitor. You don't need to have to worry about low estrogen levels and all the negative effects that come from low estrogen. Um, so just by managing it a little bit more accordingly. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say this. Uh, I've, I've added Primo to my mix. And since I did that, my estrogen levels came down to range level, like proper range levels. Like I was a yeah. high converter. I don't have a lot of body fat, but mm -hmm. the application of therapeutic testosterone, even in like normal dosages, like 100, 120, 125 milligrams per week, mm -hmm. I, I convert high. Like I, I'm right at the top of the range, right? Oh, really? Okay. So yeah. Primo for me was like perfect. Um, it's hard you, to get though. Are you taking any zinc? I am taking zinc. Yeah. Yeah. I'm taking okay. probably about 50 milligrams of zinc daily. Okay. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Cause that also acts as a, a, a little bit of an aromatized inhibitor indirectly. Oh, is that right? Um, yeah. Yeah. It I helps use, with I've used DIM. I've used uh CDG Perfect. as well, which, you know, which I found uh, work, but I mean, the thing that's like the easiest is just add some Primo to the mix and it's done. It's taken yeah. care of. Right. Plus, plus you get to look better. So, and you, yeah. when you feel better, you get a little bit of uh, additional uh, hematocrit, which is good for performance. And then I don't see an issue regarding hematocrit because again, a primobolin was prescribed as um, uh, a method to raise hematocrit, mm. and so that's what it's medically prescribed for. Is that and right? So be, yeah, but muscle because, wasting disease. Because so. both hemoglobin and hematocrit for me came down. Now, oh really? Okay. I don't know if it's because I bought a sauna, and mm -hmm. I've heard like you know applying infrared um sauna to your body which i usually do about 45 minutes a day not so much in the summertime because i'm out in the sun sweating anyway but mm -hmm. um apparently it it like thins your blood a little bit i don't know if that's true oh, really I, I i don't know no yeah. I, that i don't know yeah i mean it could be that you're increasing metabolic rate and it, it's the same as like niacin it, it to help with lipids it, it opens up the capillaries allowing for more blood flow and maybe okay. the sauna is increasing blood flow allowing for lower hematocrit levels that's, that's speculating it. a little bit so i don't hold me uh, accountable to this don't, but um whatever sorry. works like the funny thing is there's so many methods to optimize something mm -hmm. and and with hormone replacement or bodybuilding you just do what works for your body considering it's not doing anything unhealthy 
Yeah. Um, so if you and, do the song, like everybody's body all, is going to respond differently to, to, to yeah. different inputs too. Yeah. Otherwise, we all look the same, and we could do the same cookie cutter approach, right? We're all exactly. uniquely different. If you do the sauna, I would recommend a little bit of an ice pack to uh, chill the area. I think I'm going to um, get a um, ice bath for afterwards, so I can sauna first, and I'm going to go into an ice bath afterwards. So that'll be the next thing I add to the have 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 a look at some of the fertility studies where they show that increasing your testicle. Um, uh, what is temperature beyond a certain range for a certain amount of time and it, it completely arrests spermatogenesis you know right? producing sperm yeah so you so, so you sterilize yourself sitting in a sauna yeah and Perfect. a hot bath also yeah 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 <laughs> even though even though it's very very enjoyable right and you get a little bit of a sweat going and remove some toxins that way yeah. apparently it's also not good for fertility but Okay. Um, well, this day and age, you you might want to have an impaired fertility, anyways. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm not interested in having <laughs> any more kids. Um, yeah, I was going to say because we mentioned Primo a few times, and I don't think you can get it from a TRT clinic in the U.S. I know you get it. No. Like, um, you can get it in Mexico over the counter. I'm sure you get it in Thailand. So, yeah. you're going to have to find somebody that is a home brewer. I mean, that's where I get mine from. Yeah, or an online source. Yeah, yeah, yeah or so an online source. There, there, um, where there's a will, there's a way. I would yeah. always say. Yeah, um, and it's a wonderful compound. It's it's great. But but again, if you're predisposed to losing your hair, it'll probably accelerate it. Just you know, heads up, so you know. Yeah. Um, another another fair warning for Primo is if you have sleep apnea or you're a little bit higher body weight and you you're snoring at night, you wake up gasping for air, and you didn't do a sleep study yet, or you don't have a CPAP, mm -hmm. that is also causing your hematocrit to go up. That's right. Yeah. So if you're on TRT, you're which also causes, yeah. right, you're not breathing, your hematocrit is going up from the sleep apnea, from the testosterone, and then the primo on top might send you over the edge, even if it's a low dose of one mm -hmm. ampule per week, it might send you over the edge to the point you need to donate every four weeks. Yeah. So keep that in mind. Get your sleep apnea addressed first before you add in an erythropoic compound like testosterone, especially primabolin. Yeah. Because all these things compound, you know. And there's, um, I don't have it here on my uh, desk, but there's a uh, device called a, a Loki, L-O-O-K-E-E, -E, um, okay. which which is not expensive. It's a hundred bucks and you basically wear it on your wrist and it has this extended cord that goes to your finger with a red mm -hmm. light and it measures okay. your blood oxygen levels continuously through the night. So uh, if you're unsure okay. if you have sleep apnea, get that little device. It's a hundred bucks and it's got a great little app. It'll download all the data via Bluetooth and it'll tell you, what your what your concentration of blood oxygen levels is throughout the entire mm -hmm. night it's really, oh, really that's cool great place. that's that's very good well i will have to look into that because i've been telling my clients to record themselves on a webcam all no. night no, it's and the then go thing, through honestly. go go through the footage to see if they're gasping right so yeah this, it's, this is far better it's actually more accurate than this aura ring um because mm -hmm. of how it collects the data because it because it uses this bright red light to basically collect the blood oxygen um levels this thing mm -hmm. will say some time like and it also um tracks your uh, pulse rate too so this thing sometimes will not pick up on the spikes in my heart rate and sometimes when i'm sleeping like through the function of dreaming or something that might be going on with movement your my my heart rate will spike up like 130 beats per minute you know for short short bursts hearing there at night yeah and then i'll you know take the data from the low-key mm -hmm. device and i'll compare it to my aura ring and the aura ring doesn't even pick up on it so it's a far oh, more man. accurate um tracking mechanism than 130 this ring. Mm. yeah that, that, that might be a, a little bit of sleep apnea you, you ever wake up gasping for air you have any dips in oxygen uh, levels um yeah the spo2 dips sometimes but mm -hmm. it's not as dramatic as it used to be so a couple of things that i did to fix these 
the sleep apnea problem, which I haven't completely corrected yet, is I got a, a chili pad mattress. So mm-hmm. it lowers my blood temperature, or not my blood temperature, but it, but it lowers your core temperature. Right. It's going to be sleep better. And I've mm-hmm. also found sleeping on my right side is, yeah. mm-hmm. is the best way to keep the um, uh, air passage clear. Right. So right. as long as I'm sleeping, yeah, sometimes you slobber a little bit and you're waking up a little bit of drool on the pillow, but whatever. 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 Yeah. If, if, if there's a woman around, it's too late. Well, she, she's already sleeping there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, US, U.S. healthcare worker here says, which clinics or online services do you use to monitor labs, ultrasounds, and testosterone? What's your take on that in the U.S.? So there's Quest, LabCorp, and Merrick Health, the, the, the private clinic of uh, Derek, for more plates, more dates. And those are all places you can do blood work. Right? The, the ultrasounds, you probably need to get a script or, or some sort of referral from your primary care physician and do that at a hospital. Um, testosterone is mostly on prescription or you self-prescribe that. So it really depends on the state and, and what you can get in your state and how they handle the, um, the laws or, or how you pres- get a referral for blood work. Because in some states, you can just walk into LabCorp, have your blood drawn, they send it in for analysis, and you get the results by email. Mm. Another state, you have to go through your primary healthcare physician, um, pretend that you're sick and all things wrong with your body, and then give some sort of incentive for them to write you a referral with all the markers that you need. And then you still need to pay out of pocket. So it really depends on where you are. Um, but I, I know Quest, LabCorp, and then Merrick Health, those are probably the go-to places in the States to uh, get a blood work service. And then Merrick Health also offers um, blood work analysis with some of their um, inpatient care coordinators. And otherwise, well, I, I offer consultations for blood work review. Uh, especially for the guys that are self-prescribing. So yes. You know where to find me. Yeah, if you're self-prescribing, <laughs> don't do not do it unless you know exactly what you're doing. Right. So there's a lot of knowledgeable guys that offer guidance for that uh, through consultations. Yeah. And ultrasounds, it really depends. Like here in Thailand, I can walk into a lab, pay out of pocket, do like 50, 100 different markers if I want to, and, and, and it's pretty affordable. Same with the ultrasounds, same with the MRI. It just went, well, the MRI had to get a script for yeah, the MRI had a script. Yeah. Let me uh, just drop in the chat because I know somebody's going to message me or email me later. Like, what did you say that monitoring device is? It's called the low key. And then here's the link. Uh, so it's L O O K E E. And um, they've got a bunch of different ones there. You guys can check it out. It's in the live chat. Um, yeah. You oh, mentioned well, the material. Do, do you have a discount code or a referral? No, I have no Affiliate? code for that. It's, uh, you, I just happen to like the product. Yeah, it's, it's okay. a really good product. You should. Yeah. you should. Sounds like a great product. So I will uh, definitely look into it myself also. Yeah. I um I didn't go for the fingertip one. There's one that'll stay like right on your fingertip. Yeah, from, that one I have. Yeah. 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 From the research I got, it's not the best for sleeping with the one mm-hmm. that has a wristband, which has a cord mm-hmm. that goes to your finger is basically the one that I liked. I have um, the one that you put in your finger. It's like two dollars on AliExpress, and then I check my oxygen because I, during COVID, during this this crisis, you uh, that's one of the easiest way to detect if you're if you're having issues because your blood oxygen levels go down. Oh, is that right? So I, yeah, I just keep checking my my finger every couple of days and just to see okay. uh, if it drops below a ninety nine, which it, so far it hasn't. So so far so good. High. I mean, if you got a ninety nine saturation rate, that's that's really good. Cardio every day for the yeah. last 10 years. Yeah. Um, so Mr. Singh says, you mentioned the pituitary stops sending signals to produce testosterone. Is there a natural way to get your pituitary communicating normally after TRT? That would be HCG, I would think, wouldn't it be? 
Uh, no, ACG just sends the signal to your testicles. So there's, um, naturally, you'll just have to wait. It usually takes about six months, maybe a year before everything kind of picks up again. So that's why we do post-cycle therapy, or you can call it post-TRT therapy. Yeah. Um, that's double therapy, but it is what it is. Uh, so you'll use fertility drugs to restart the signaling process. You can use Kispeptin 10, which has a little bit of evidence that it's able to um, secrete a luteinizing hormone and follicle-stimulating hormone from the pituitary. Or you use a gonadotropin hormone-releasing hormone analog, like gonadorelin, triptorelin, bucerelin. You have to dose that uh, low dosages probably multiple times per day just to send a little bit of signal. So now you're replacing the signal from the hypothalamus to the pituitary with three different drugs. The gispeptin 10 works on the hypothalamus to release, release gonadotropin hormone-releasing hormone, but you can mimic this with one of the fertility drugs. And then the last step from the pituitary to the testicles is luteinizing hormone, follicle stimulating hormone, which you can mimic with ACG or human menopausal gonadotropin, which contains luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone. So you'll have to choose which of these steps you want to restart. And uh, that's going to take time. And not every drug is as efficacious as the next guy, uh, the next drug so you'll have to figure out what works so i've been running an experiment with kispeptin 10 didn't work didn't raise my lh and fsh levels and, yeah. and i'm still running it just to get the blood work and then i probably have to look at another drug you can block the estrogen receptor in the hypothalamus and pituitary with novadex clomid and clomiphene roloxifene and send a little bit of signal that way because there's always a negative feedback and of course when you're coming off trt you're you're kind of in like this hormonal imbalance limbo and and the selective estrogen receptor modulator helps with that but it also acts as an estrogen in the brain so the clomid or enclomiphene might give you a little bit of side effects you know, estrogenic side effects in the brain so you you watch titanic and then suddenly here's are starting <laughs> really it's it's insane yeah. like you think you're the most alpha male and you know all right you're successful and you've accomplished a lot of things and you're and you're settled and you're grounded and then you take clomid or enclomiphene you start freaking crying during movies. Yeah. You know what's interesting? A lot of people um, think that when you start introducing therapeutic doses of testosterone into your healthcare regime as you get older as a guy, like you're going to get more aggressive, you get more like pissed off, you know, you get cut off driving, you know, you're going to get road rages. But for me, I found it actually calmed me. Like, you know, having mm -hmm. having more balanced levels of testosterone and estrogen and all the other hormones, I actually like stuff didn't bother me so much. Yeah. No, you, because you, you're also actively suppressing cortisol. Right? Right. If your testosterone is higher, you suppress your cortisol. And that's also one of those stress hormones that make you a little bit agitated. Yeah. So if your testosterone is at the top of the reference range or a little bit over, right, wherever yeah. you feel comfortable, and your estrogen is the same, and it's nice and stable, you feel very grounded and leveled. Yeah. Now, you go and test Trembolone and, and all this uh, bodybuilding stuff and higher dosages. Yeah, roid rates is definitely there, and you will feel pissed off while driving. I've been there many, many, many times, you know, driving in Asia is, uh, yes, it's a one hell of a roller coaster, I would say. Yeah. Um, so it's, it, it, like there's a, a therapeutic dose where you feel good. And then there's a, a too high of dose where you get good results, but the side effects start to manifest also. Yeah. That's like and one of the questions my doctors always ask me is like, you know, your levels look good. You're a little bit, you know, high, 
higher end of the reference range. You're getting pissed off easily. You know, you're getting angry, have any mm -hmm. anger issues. I'm like, no, I feel really good. Actually, I feel very mm -hmm. calm. You know, nothing really gets yeah. under my skin. So no, it's, I mean, it it's, just it's, works it's, better it's, for me that way. I think for a lot of men, if you, especially when you're older, even if you like when my testosterone levels came back to about 600 nanograms per deciliter. Uh, and now that I restarted again four weeks uh, ago, like quality of life improved tremendously just by having a little bit of testosterone and, and Prima Bowl in the mix. Like I'm more, a better sex drive, uh, more outgoing, more uh, go-getter attitude regarding business. I'm able to work longer right during the day so I can do well, uh, six in the morning till 10 in the evening if I wanted to. Mm -hmm. Um, right. And I, I'm energetic throughout the day, which I didn't have, um, when I was uh, off TRT. So th there's, there's, there's huge benefits. There's what do you think benefits. about that, um, soundbite that came off the Huberman interview? I think he was on Friedman's podcast and he, and he said something along the lines of, of testosterone makes effort feel good. Yeah, it's very true. It's, it's a, some sort of a dopaminergic or, or a dopamine response in the brain. Uh, where you do something and you get this little reward strategy or reward uh, through a chemical uh, release. And it, it, it's certainly true. It's certainly true. I mean, you're on hormone replacement in the end of the month when you're doing your financials is a very rewarding uh, experience, far more rewarding than without the testosterone, which is weird to say. Um, but yeah, it's it, it, you're just more driven, I would say. More driven and, you, and, and you're less um less conflicted on how which direction you need to go with uh business wise mm -hmm. like if you're investing for example sometimes there's a lot of, you have the market says this thing and the news says this thing and then, then you're not really sure should i invest or not invest should i sell or not sell mm -hmm. and then now that i'm four weeks back on hormone replacement i know exactly what to do there's no conflict yeah it, it, it clears up some of the brain fog you know it's one of right. the things that people don't understand is that when you're deficient in testosterone and one of the things that a lot of guys get prescribed incorrectly in my view is they get SSRIs and antidepressants when they should really be going on testosterone therapy, like a therapeutic dose of it, not mm -hmm. nothing like bodybuilder levels, but like just, just getting that, that level fixed. And that fixes the problem yeah. for most guys, right? For sure. For sure. And, and of course there is a place for SSRIs, but most guys, especially if your testosterone levels are subclinical, that would be the immediate approach going forward because our bodies works on testosterone. And if your body is not, not cooperating and producing sufficient amounts, mm -hmm. supplement. I mean, women have been doing that since the age of 15 with birth control. So, mm -hmm. right, we should be able to do the same thing. And, and in the end, if you're more productive, uh, more business oriented, um, the whole world benefits because the economy is rolling. That's, that's the way I look at it. Mm -hmm. So, all right. And then it's just a, a matter of managing your health accordingly, which if you want to be a bodybuilder, it's a constant sacrifice. But with hormone replacement therapy, even if it's a little bit plus, the management of health is, is, is not that uh, severe. You can do your blood work every three months, make a couple adjustments and, and go about your business. A lot of yeah. people get like overwhelmed with the notion of managing their blood panels because like really you can't trust your family doctor to do this. I mean, if you're one of the guys that's like, you know, getting into your late thirties, your forties, and you're going to your uh, doctor for like your, your annual checkup or your, you know, checkup you do every three years or something like that. And they check your blood and they're like, yeah, it looks like all your blood levels are fine. I mean, you know, the thing with this is that, you know, it's like the basketball net. It's like, you know, if you can't dunk the ball, 
then what they then what did they do for you? You know, back in school days, they would lower the net, right? So that you know the bar is lowered, and all of a sudden, you know, you can dunk the ball. It's, it's kind of the same thing with with like the blood labs because I feel anyway that society, government, the state, you know, like the entire narrative seems to be trying to weaken you know the Western male and mm -hmm. just just telling guys like, oh yeah, you know, you're fine, but you know, if you don't feel good, I can give you the script for an SSRI, but like mm -hmm. your levels are fine. Like you're like I have guys that'll that'll have all the symptoms of low T and they'll go to the doctor and they'll get their blood labs drawn, you know, because it's done with their family doctor and they'll come back and be like, they won't script me anything because they say that my levels are normal. Well, yeah, if you keep lowering the levels to, you know, to comply with what is being produced with the test results, of course, you're going to look yeah. normal. But how do you feel? Do you feel like shit? Do you have the symptoms I, of low T? Then I, go to a I TRT it, clinic. Right. I call it the feminist reference range. The feminist reference range. That's a good way to put it. What so, do you think of the general weakening of like the Western male, you know, with like the lower T levels and all that today? Uh, it's one of the reasons why I left the Western world. Yeah. Right? Not, not, that, not that masculinity is so predominant here in Thailand, but like I want things out of life that I couldn't get there. So I decided to go somewhere else where I felt that I could get more out of my own life. And here I can do the blood work out of pocket. Here I can self-prescribe TRT. Here I can live my lifestyle the way I wanted to. And, and uh, the women here seem far more receptive to uh, what I wanted out of my life. The women in the Western world did not really seem that receptive. And when I went in for blood work, I would have to negotiate hardcore, like, like some sort of business transaction that uh, would take place for the next 10 years. I would need to negotiate with my primary healthcare physician just to get the markers done, mm. even though I was paying out of pocket. So, I, right? It's like they're trying to suppress you actively through the healthcare system, through the, the insane taxes here and there. And I just so listen, I'm, I'm, I'm done with this. I have a particular expectations I want to accomplish in my life and I'm, I won't be able to do it here. Um, and, and for all the guys that are struggling with this, make money online and move. Yeah. Like you, it sounds like you're able to take sovereignty over your own health in your body in Thailand mm -hmm. in a way you couldn't in Holland, right? No, no, I couldn't. I have to, I would have to go to my primary healthcare physician. I could only do blood work once per year. And that was always one of the hidden reasons why I wanted, didn't want to start steroids because I knew I was going to have to monitor my, my health more closely, right? Because you're administering a foreign body and mm -hmm. you're, um, you're going to change your parameters. So I could only do blood work once per year. And every year on the day, I would be at my uh, healthcare provider said, hey, listen, it's time again. Can I do my blood work just to see if I'm healthy? And he was like, no, it's not needed because you're, you're young and you're, right, you look good. And, and, and then, so you have to play the victim going that you have all kinds of side effects that you're not really. So you make up stuff to get them to pull the blood. Yeah. Yeah. You <sighs> literally have to lie. You literally have to lie. So I have low libido. I don't feel good. I feel a little bit, right. But not to the point you give a hint that you're depressed because that's mm -hmm. when they prescribe. That's when they want to give you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. So you have a little bit of a abdominal pain. You want to do some uh, liver examination, this kind of stuff. You have to manipulate the, yeah, the healthcare in, 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 in Holland to get what you want. After a while, I was kind of tired of that. And, uh, but look at it this way. Like healthcare is never preventative. It's reactive. Yeah. It's reactive. Yeah. So if you have an issue, uh, let's say you have a heart attack, you can go into the ER and get, um, helped. If you want to do an MRI 20 years before you have a heart attack, you have to get a prescription. Yeah. I had to go to five doctors here in Thailand, even, even Thailand, five doctors, uh, to get, um, an MRI scheduled. 
because it's reactive medicine. There's nothing wrong with my heart. We did the mm. contrast. And I was in the MRI for machine for one and a half hours. And my heart health is just normal. And, and mm. the doctor asked me, why did you do an MRI? And said, well, I took steroids. I want to know. I'm financially secure. I can pay out of pocket. I, mm. I want to know what's going on with my heart. Mm. It's reactive. Otherwise, so if I go in with a heart attack or I, I'm out of breath all the time or uh, I have no energy, then they would <laughs> schedule it for you. Um, yeah, if you showed yeah, up on a stretcher with you know half your body frozen the next one they'll pay your your face your face is falling off and that's when they'll pay attention it's yeah it's pretty similar here in canada i mean they're pretty tight with it um Mm -hmm. like my family doctor didn't want to hear about it it wasn't even a conversation so i started just basically looking around i started googling i found a clinic and even then at 43 like he didn't really want to give me testosterone right away like he basically said you know take these supplements and see if we can get your levels up which i'm fine with like i'd rather try to get you know, to where I want to be naturally and mm-hmm. let my body do what it's supposed to do. But, um, he scripted DHEA. He, uh, suggested, mm-hmm. um, a bunch of other supplements like, uh, Chrysin, DHEA, which he scripted for me here. Cause it's got to be done through a, a doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then back to the story that I was going to tell you earlier, that was funny. Cause I was in Mexico a few summers ago before all this COVID bullshit. And it's like, you know, you yeah. go there and you're like, all right, it's kidding. Let's candy go. Store. Yeah, we got. I'll take some Deca. We'll take some Testosterone Depot. We got some Proviron here. So it was about seven, seven to ten weeks before my next blood draw. So I was like, "Cool, you know, we're here for a few weeks. Let's have some fun." Um, I didn't realize that Deca stays in your blood as long as it does. So when I came back, you know, about nine, ten weeks later, I had to do my blood, and he's like, "You know, I go in. I hadn't seen my labs." He goes what the fuck are you doing like what's we going on like talk yeah like, we need to have a talk like <laughs> what's going on why are your levels so high i'm like what are you talking about he goes well how much are you taking i'm like what you scripted you know which i was i was basically taking what he was scripting me but i hadn't mm-hmm. realized that the deca from prior was still in my yeah. blood for that long because it's got such a long half-life mm-hmm. um but the levels were like way too high yeah so, quite high and then you see your prolactin is elevated yeah so i told him why he's like well i have to you know he's writing a note i'm like what are you doing he goes i have to write a note to make sure that if i ever get audited they know that i didn't do this it was you you as an idiot in mexico doing stupid uh, shit i'm like okay yeah, got yeah. it right oh so it does go in your record well he well he wants to cover his ass you know because of his license yeah. right like he doesn't want to yeah. get nailed for it so i was like that's fine you know i'll take the blame i was out of the country i can do whatever i want out of the country yeah you're that, not liable that's why that. i don't that's why i don't bother anymore yeah. with uh with the primaries you know it's it, it, I, what i do with my own body is my responsibility and i do as much research as i can and of course i also have a prescription for testosterone but when i get that extended i make sure that i'm off everything and that my blood work looks good yeah so, i'm not a fan of the 19 nor stuff anymore like uh, like i've never messed with trend or anything like that but the deca is really not worth it. i mean it's wonderful for your joints it's great for your mm-hmm. joints but i mean like you can end up with all kinds of side effects with the prolactin and the deca dick and all yeah, that forget it it's right, just not right. worth it plus you get no, really right. watery too yeah so that's why i feel prima bolin is a superior compound because great, you get yeah. a little bit of the like beneficial collagen synthesis but you don't get this water retention so i've got a great collagen supplement better. that i take every morning with my coffee like I just throw it in the coffee. It, it tastes great. It kind of mm-hmm. foams it up a little bit. And that way you get your collagen into your body too as well, right. which is great for your joints. Yeah, right. I have a whole video series on my YouTube channel about collagen. And it's it's a highly beneficial supplement. It's far better than whey protein. Yeah. Because uh, that's that's what the fitness industry says. Oh, you need whey protein post-workout. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't really protect your connective tissue. For that, you need collagen. So I, I've been taking collagen for the last six years, seven years. Collagen how supplements. Much, how much... Uh, how much collagen do you take daily? 20, 20, 40 grams, depending on the day. 20 to 24 grams? 
20 to 40 grams per day. Grams, not not yeah. no grams. You're talking grams. No grams. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so normally you have that's like a, a post post workout shake, right? And it would be yeah. like two scoops of whey protein. That's about 40 grams, 45 grams of protein. Okay. So I, I I look at all you know the benefits you get from whey protein, and besides the branched chain amino acids, there's no real benefit. Yeah. Um. So I, I started supplementing with collagen, 40 grams, same amount post workout or pre workout, and my joints feel amazing. Yeah. Right? Because I used to lift quite heavy, not not anymore. Uh, I'm taking a little vacation from that stuff. Um, but when I used to train like very, very heavy weights, my joints would always be hurt a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then I really started looking into, you know, the inflammation and and uh, how to recover your joints and connective tissue. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I just need to get more collagen in my diet. I'm only getting so much collagen from the chicken and the fish and the beef and the eggs. Mm -hmm. So I started supplementing and that, that's been a game changer for me. Yeah. I've been doing that for the last few years. Yeah. And then yeah, you I've only been doing it for about four or five months and I really like it. Yeah. Consider taking vitamin C with each meal. Oh, I do that too. Yeah. 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 I watched your video the other day, you know, with the supplements that, you know, you'd recommend it. And I added a few extra ones. Like I did, I get lazy with all the pills. So you, okay. You know, I'll start taking vitamin C with the meals and it's, you know, it's, a few it's cumbersome things. for sure. Yeah. It's very cumbersome, but it, yeah, they, they all have their benefits. So people look at me like, why are you having so many tablets? It's, well, I can't get it from food. Yeah. And they all have their unique benefits. And I just spaced it out over the day. Um, instead of having one dose in the evening and one dose in the in the in the right in the morning. They just space it out over the day, and then every meal has a little bit of a tablet, which is annoying, but gets the job done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's switch gears a little bit because um yeah. we're probably gonna wrap up in about 15 to 20 minutes. I wanted to talk yeah. to you about you know creating content on YouTube because I mean, we were talking briefly before we went live. Um, mm -hmm. how long ago did you start your channel? Uh, I started it a long, long time ago in 2013. Right. Then my coaching business took off and I realized that that's where my revenue was going to be. Uh, and back then we didn't have YouTube monetization, I believe, or I wasn't able to monetize the channel. So I took a little break from YouTube. So I, I restarted about two years ago, two and a half years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm in good company. Um, so I, I got a little bit of a boost from Derek, more plates, more dates. And with Leo Longevity, and then I'm sure I'll get a boost from uh, from being on your channel. Mm -hmm. And then this with these collaborations, it grows quite fast. So over the course of two years, I went from 1,500 subs to 35,000, mm -hmm. and uh, it, it grows quite rapidly. And I, I've you know blown past a couple other channels that are um, in the same field, but just you know, they don't grow as fast. It's it's very niche content what I'm producing. Yeah, it's like YouTube's a, a strange platform, man, because it's like uh, every every few months or maybe a couple times a year it feels like they're always changing the algorithms and they yeah. start to reward different things i mean i noticed about you know six to twelve months ago there's a lot it, you know we chatted but there's a lot more mm -hmm. thumbnails with like <gasps> you know like yeah, shocking you know, like thing. this and the other thing and it's like fuck, man like do i really have to do that to get views like do i have to like stoop to that level when all i want to do is talk about what i want to talk about and i haven't gotten there yet like i don't think i'm ever going to do those like thumbnails and those mm -hmm. like you know you know like react like millionaire reacts to millionaire reacts <laughs> to vigorous steve taking peds talking about yeah. his fatty liver disease it's like um right. I, I don't know man i, I just it gets I'm it gets good. views and unfortunately it, it, it does though man it pisses also, me right? off because you know yeah. like you put like really good quality content out but some guy with a dorky thumbnail with the right picture on it will get all the views even if he's well, I, like, I, you know, I, providing I less that. value I started doing that also just to draw the audience in. Like there's a, a, a whole different game 
when it comes to YouTube. You have quality content, you know, good audio, good video. Uh, you look uh, taken care of, right? And 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 then you still need to bait, lure people in with the thumbnail or the yeah. title. It's the same as Tinder or uh, advertisement, right? Every every thumbnail and title is an opportunity to get people in. And then you have to entertain them and inform them and mm -hmm. keep them engaged throughout the video. Now, with my kind of content, it's a little bit difficult because sometimes it's very in-depth. Uh, and then people kind of doze off, you know, because I do have a tendency to kind of, like, well, sounds like a freight train after a while. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're able to entertain, uh, then you can keep the audience retention and, and people watch the videos longer, allowing them to look at more ads, which are placed on the video. And then YouTube is like, yes, this guy's a moneymaker. Let's mm -hmm. put more of his content to a new audience. So One of the things I like about what you do is you is you've got the chapters in the video, which I'm too lazy to do, but it but it makes it easier yeah. for me to watch the part or like skip back over to the part that I want to see again. People um, uh, people kind of forced me into it. And there was one comment. Mm -hmm. He said, uh, the, the, "This is the story of YouTube: a 20 minute video to say one thing. We mm -hmm. need timestamps." And then it got like a ton of likes. And it's like, oh, fine, fine, I'll do it. So I started doing it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and now I've I figured out a little trick. You see, you have the timestamps, and after a week, you can check um, in the YouTube uh, analytics which segments get more views than others. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So you have the audience retention. So like, and sometimes so it like goes people up. can jump to the timestamps and it'll show where. Yeah. It's like, okay, interesting. Right. So they, they skip ahead to like probably the protocol at the end of the video. When I've okay. done all my animation, they're like, ah, Steve, I just want the protocol. So you see that the, the protocol gets more audience retention again. And then oh, okay. I, I reward everybody uh, with an ad at that spot. Good. So, yeah. so tip for you then is if you're doing like a 35 minute clip or, or like a 35 minute video, get it get it clipped down to like a shorter clip yeah. and put it on that's a clip channel because yeah. those things really exploded for me on my clips channel. Yeah, um, that's that's what I do now. I realized that those 30 minute, 50 minute videos that are almost documentaries with all the information that I would like to know yeah. are not doing so well. So now I've shortened it to like. 10, 15 minutes. And um, yeah, the, the YouTube game is um, is hard to figure out sometimes because like you and me, we have a certain ID, uh, idea that we want to um, right hand over to the audience. But then the audience is is just simply scrolling through the phone and it's got a million different thumbnails. Very low attention span. Right. Yeah. And so you got to, you got, you have your elevator pitch and then some people also look at the, the length of the video and they, they don't want to commit to 30 minutes. So you have to split it up. Yeah. Yeah, you have to split it up. I might have to just do a clip channel with just the protocols and then refer to the full video on a, uh, but I need an editor. Uh, right now I'm doing all, everything myself, so. Yeah, you got to find somebody to do that for you. Like, yeah. uh, you know, as a piece of advice, what I did to find my uh, clip editors, I just put a, put like a post out on social media. I said, hey, you know, I'm looking for somebody for this task. You have to be mm -hmm. a, a fan that already watches all my stuff and you have to have the right. skill to edit it. And then mm -hmm. I had um, people submit samples of clips the way that they would do it. I didn't tell them mm -hmm. how to do it. I said, send me an example of a clip the way that you would do it. And mm -hmm. what I'll do is I'll call you and we'll have a conversation. We'll, you know, we'll hash it out. And yeah. out of like the 30 people that messaged me, I, I think five people bothered to actually do the work and make the clips to like, you know, submit mm -hmm. their test work for me so I could see it. Mm -hmm. I picked the two best that I liked. I did an interview with him and I hired the guy that I liked the best and he's, right. he's doing great. I mean, the guy's making a lot of money and he's, and he's working for it. So I'm really pleased with it. But um, yeah. yeah, you don't want to do that. I mean, you want to have somebody, 
you know, create content and like clips for you. Um, you know what I want to ask you too, before we wrap up and I got a super chat here that mm -hmm. we'll hit in just one second. Um, we were talking earlier about marriage and um, you chose to get married in Thailand. And it's one of the things that I talk a lot about on my channel as well as I tell guys, you know, like marriage is a bad game. It's basically a really bad deal for guys in the West. What's it mm -hmm. like being married in Thailand? Like, is there a, is there a risk profile to that as a guy, as far as your wealth? You don't have any kids though, right? No, not yet. Yeah, yeah. That's in the, that's in the picture. So I've been married for man, five, six years, seven years times it's flown by. So, you know, yeah, we're no pretty good. I mean, like you've had some stress applied to the relationship. You see how she responds to that. If she's, I mean, usually crazy comes out when stress gets applied to the relationship, right? So if well, you haven't seen that stress, but that's from outside forces. Yeah. I, I never really, um, never applied it myself. Like, again, I, I found your YouTube channel after I got married. Mm -hmm. Um, so there, there's some, some moments where you need to put your foot down. Right. And right, then, uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I said, oh, this is no. Right, this is not gonna, this is not gonna fly. Yeah. So, but so far it's been great. But I think it's because I was very, very selective uh, previously. Like mm. I would, I was, I would date women multiple at a time, and I would never get invested. Mm. I would never get invested because I didn't feel that these women previously, before I met my wife, were on par to commit to a relationship. And then I met my wife and I was like, man, she's not like anybody else I've met previously. And I, I've traveled all over to Asia. I've traveled all over Europe. I've dated women from multiple countries, multiple different backgrounds. And then I met my wife and I'm like, hmm, this girl is like me, business oriented, educated, uh, loves bodybuilding, right? loves fitness. She, she competed for many years and was the best, the best in this country and the best basically in the world because she won the world championships multiple times. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I would, is, is the term trophy wife, is that still applicable? I think so, yeah. So that's how I would consider it. Okay. Right? A, a woman that's um, on par of what I'm trying to be and accomplish now and in the future. So she's and a compliment to your life is what you're saying. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. My, my life uh, improved dramatically after uh, coming yeah, together. Yeah, you want that and, as a guy. I mean... It you know, if you're on a mission, if you're on a purpose, you don't want a woman distracting you from what it is no. that you're doing. You want her to complement your life and what it is that you're doing. So that's really important too. Right. Because I'm, I'm so busy. So I, I, I added her to my work environment. So she, I'm employing her mm -hmm. and she's helping me with the YouTube. And, and also I, I, I asked her, say, can you please look into these uh, investments, right? Mm -hmm. Because I'm too busy with the YouTube. And then she comes back with a report and, and we're looking at it like, hmm, this might be a good opportunity. Mm -hmm. right? So, so some guys would cringe at this. You're taking business advice from my wife. Um, but so far it's, it's been very, it's been paying off very, very well. So when you look at the, the, the risk here, let, let's say for divorce, um, I have not looked into it to be honest, because I didn't want to settle down with the women where I felt that I needed to look into, uh, the risk of a divorce. Mm -hmm. And the way I looked at it also, like my parents are divorced um, and that there was a, a horrible, like both of them are Westerners, obviously, mm. um, a lot of lawyers, a lot of legal fees, a lot of transfer of money. And they, they both ended up basically bankrupt, right? Right. Due to the divorce um, because both of them didn't understand how to make money. And they're both employed. They're not self-employed. So what, as a man, when you have the opportunity to make money for yourself, even if you have to give a percentage away through a divorce, 
you don't lose the opportunity to make money. And I, I think this is the mindset that a lot of guys need to have. So listen, I'm me. Okay, there might be a stressful period involved when you go through a divorce, but I'm still me. I can still make money after the divorce. So it, it should be a non-issue. And I, I think a lot of guys should not keep that in the back of their head. Like I'm going to lose my money potentially 20 years from now uh, because that also kills the relationship. Yeah, that's one part of the equation. I think the, I think the big hangup that a lot of guys here have have here, especially, uh, you know, in Canada mm -hmm. and the US is that um, like the big selling point to having a wife slash mother of your kids is, you know, you, you pass on your DNA, you pass on your genes. So mm -hmm. um, the problem that most guys run into is they'll invest into her and the children. And then they'll find if they go through the divorce grinder that they actually lose quite a lot of access to seeing their own kids and yeah. parent them. Mm -hmm. And in many cases, some random dude that now becomes the boyfriend to her in the future spends more time with your kids than you do. Yeah. And all you do every month is watch her wealth transfer from your bank account to yeah. hers with no access to those kids. So that's why I was asking, like, I was curious, like, what does family law look like in Thailand? Because a lot of guys are all about, oh, you know, I'll just leave, you know, the States or I'll leave Canada and I'll go to Asia or I'll go to colombia or i'll go to some latin american country and things will be better over there but it's like no dude if you don't have frame like if you don't understand women maybe maybe the maybe the laws will be better like maybe you could screw up and the laws might be better and might be might be, might mm -hmm. be more in your favor and it's easy for you to see your kids and you're not going to be drained of all your wealth but right. yeah there's a there's a really interesting you know component to that narrative of guys thinking well i'll just move to this country and that'll solve all my problems right but there's still game that's involved there's still laws that 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 can't yeah. get applied to your relationship that you don't have control over plus the cultural difference a lot of people forget about the cultural differences like like i have my own culture being from holland we're in the western world and she has her own culture and it takes some adjustment right because you find that, things that that women in thailand are still considerably more feminine than they are in like the more feminist sort of countries yeah yeah but also more insecure than western women and then care how and, like they're about um, their looks or about their looks, about how they're positioned in the relationship. Like there's a lot of infidelity in Thailand uh, amongst the Thais and the foreigners mm. because it's so easy to get in touch with other women. Mm. So you ha really have to be grounded and comfortable with who you are so you're not jealous. And I, I noticed that, well, with the hundreds of Thai women that I've interacted with, within an hour or a couple of days or a couple of weeks, jealousy starts to manifest. Mm -hmm. And a lot of guys don't see this. Right. A lot of guys that are in the Western world, they maybe don't have so much game and they completely focused on business, but they don't understand women. Mm -hmm. Then they come here and the first girl gives them attention. They're, they're settled. Mm -hmm. That's not the way to approach it, man. You really need to cowboy up and, and, and see what Thailand and Asia and, and women with a different cultural background are all about before you can uh, really commit. And until you find a woman that you're like, tax all the boxes, you're not going to commit. I didn't mm -hmm. commit. Mm -hmm. or for for a long long time i just sampled yeah, you shouldn't yeah you should sample right. it you know take it for a test drive yeah right right so so there's uh, right the laws they're always against you if you're a foreigner if you're in a foreign country mm -hmm. but here the the transfer of wealth is not that uh dramatic compared to the western world and that's why a lot of thai women when they leave they'll take whatever's in your house and then they're gone mm-hmm because they'll take whatever they can get, right? So, so um, well, I, I don't expect that to, to happen to me, but right, the famous last words. Fair enough. It's uh, yeah, but so far so good, man. It's uh, I'm I'm very happy where I am. 
Yeah. We got a, a question here from uh, Mr. Singh. Says 33 year old male with test levels of 376 nanograms per deciliter, qualified for TRT, but worried about fertility. Want to have healthy kids in the future? Wait until I have kids to start or just go for it? Any advice? Um, check your fertility first and see where your testosterone levels are at. Or uh, the testosterone is already determined, but see where your fertility is at. You know, the, check the motility, check the morphology, check the semen volume, the semen count, uh, sperm count in the semen. All these things you can do before going on TRT. And maybe um, your fertility is already not so good because your testosterone levels are low. You need to increase your fertility with protocols, which will also increase your testosterone levels. So you don't need to directly go on TRT. Maybe you can use the fertility drugs like ACG and HMG, which is very common in uh, fertility space. And you can improve your fertility that way, get kids or have your sperm frozen, and then go on TRT. Mm. Or maybe you already feel good on this ACG and HMG protocol, which well, is, is way more expensive than uh, TRT. So uh, I would focus on your fertility first, and that's something I wish I did, or at least checked before I went on cycle, where my fertility was at. But I was living in Holland at the time, and you don't walk into your primary healthcare physician and say, I'm going to start a cycle, I want to check my fertility. Yeah, there's a lot that you can do to increase testosterone and deal with fertility issues, especially at 33. Mm -hmm. I mean, like you should be, I mean, I would start from the question of like, are you obese? <laughs> you know, right. like what are your yeah, health markers look like in general? You know, cause maybe there's a reason why you've got fertility issues and, um, mm -hmm. you know, low Tesla. Um, by the way, I forgot to ask you, have you read, um, estrogeneration by Dr. Anthony J? No. I think no, you'd like it, man. It's a great resource. Uh, he, he's yeah. a he's a doctor that that spent his pretty much his entire career studying um, environmental estrogens that are making Westerners like fat, sick, and and infertile. So, yeah. mm -hmm. like everything from endocrine disruptors externally to toiletries to water, uh, you know, like the water supply. There's estrogen in the water supply, yeah. for example, because of women with birth control, they pee it in. You know, they can get out solids and stuff like that, but they can't get hormones out of the water. So, a lot of the mm -hmm. water you drink is already estrogen dominant. So, there's a lot of things to look at, like like that, which might be um, a problem for low T and fertility issues for guys. Yeah, there's like young ages like 33. There's so many things out there that can negatively affect your health. And you almost need to be a millionaire to 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 really navigate what it's the a full-time job. Like literally yeah. at, at my age, I spend a lot of my time on self-care. Yeah. <laughs> it's practically yeah. a full-time job. No, probably you have to look at it as a car, right? I mean, there's so much maintenance involved just to keep the engine going. And then um and as you age, your body kind of starts to reject some of the practices that we'd like to keep up. And then you have to micromanage it even further. So I think as a man, the best thing you can do is invest in yourself, whether that's your knowledge or your health. And, and the more of that you do, the more uh, knowledgeable you get and the, the, the healthier you stay, um, the more that's going to pay off in the, in the short term and the long term. And, and then, then it's again, it's a balancing act between how much are you going to use pharmacology to take yourself to the next level that make sure you don't detract from your health. That's, mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a pretty good balancing act as well. And Again, hormone replacement in most cases will lo lower your fertility unless you use fertility drugs to keep the fertility going. And for that, I would look into HMG, but HMG is far more expensive than the ACG. So, and you can't yeah, get lot, some, some of those in different parts of the world now. So I, I heard no, that HCG you can't get in the States, you know, for the most part now. No, but if Mr. Singh is in India, uh, which uh, his name uh, might indicate, yeah. then he can get HMG over the counter. Okay. Yeah, go. India has, has very and, good pharmacies.
and <laughs> and Steve's available for consults. Like you still do like one-on-one yeah. -on -one work with clients. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Yeah, always available for consultations. Not getting any uh, clients. <laughs> hey, Steve, do you have access to your wife's Insta? Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really a, a discussion point. It's more of a question just for you directly. Yeah. Right? Is, right. it, is it something you mentioned in your uh, in one of your videos about uh, uh, women uh, right, having like a different life online? Yeah, it's um, yeah. So we can talk about that for for a quick minute. So I mean, sure. I generally tell tell guys like if you've got a, a a girlfriend, a wife, and they're on a social platform like Instagram, and they're posting provocative photographs. Mm -hmm. And it's not in their line of work. Like they're not a fitness model. They're not a fitness, you know, competitor, you know, for example, which your wife is right. So, I mean, if it's yeah. not their line of work and they're posting for attention, then you basically got to say, you know, girlfriends with boyfriends don't behave that way. And, mm -hmm. you know, be in a position to walk from that because she's basically marketing herself to other guys, generally speaking. Yeah, and 100%. a woman that's in a guy's frame that sees him as her best option will willingly make her Instagram either private or she'll delete it if you tell her to, because it's not in her line of work. I mean, she doesn't need the attention mm -hmm. from other guys. However, right. if she needs the attention from other guys and is still shopping out there for options, she's basically going to tell you to pound sand and how dare you try to control me and all that sort of stuff. And you're going to be like, <laughs> smart guys will be like, I'm out. I got lots of other yeah, options right. over here. I'm good. So See you later. You do you. I'm going to keep spinning plates. Right. Um, so my, my wife was competing, right? And for that, you need to put a physique on stage that is uh, in a bikini. But we she never marketed in a way that was uh, sexualized, right? Whether that's on Instagram or on stage, she always tried to look feminine and, and considered it like a, a catwalk, like a display of art. Mm -hmm. So she would not do a lot of the things that uh, other women do for attention, uh, shaking her body, doing provocative pictures and all that stuff. Yeah. Like for her, it's mostly an outlet to get personal training clients. And if I, um, if I reach pot uh, potential financial targets and I would ask her to, uh, we both go offline, uh, she would do that in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. right? But that's, that's mostly for privacy. Like for her, it's a, it's a business endeavor and she's not doing anything pr provocative, uh, which I would consider a huge red flag uh, online. And if I wanted to go in her messages, I would. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot like, you have to look at it two ways. Let's say you're with a woman and she's going online to get attention. Um, maybe you're not doing everything you need to do as a man to mitigate that. This so, is that part of the equation. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So a lot like, of women today are drunk on social media. Attention. Oh, absolutely. Like they've grown <laughs> up on it. So absolutely. for a guy absolutely. like one of us to come along and say, Hey, you know, like I dig your vibe too. And you know, um, we've been seeing mm -hmm. each other for a while, but girlfriends with boyfriends don't behave this way so it needs to stop right. you don't want to stop right. okay cool i'm going to keep dating other chicks then right i mean i mean for some women like that's a shocker like what what did he just say like what? he actually what? has options I, he's I need, telling me what to do i need wow. likes i need likes yeah. i need a thousand likes on my ass no so <laughs> i need to get my dopamine hit man yeah right exactly yeah. yeah my my uh, hedonistic treadmill needs to be yeah. uh, stroked so i would look into a woman for settlement right for a long-term uh, relationship and, and a long-term investment that's also how you have to look at it that didn't start off that way yeah so if if that's already present where the the hedonistic treadmill is being run at and the likes for uh, right as uh, as pictures uh, is already taking place you can date but you don't settle yeah 
Just, that's, uh, that's not what I would yeah, you just at. treat her like an option is what I'd say. Uh, just, yeah. a, just a thank you note for Italy. Um, so I think on that note, we can wrap it up. I and mean, we did a full 90 minutes, which is awesome. It's been a slice. I really yep. enjoyed the insight and the conversation. We covered a lot. Thanks so much. Um, if you guys enjoyed it, Vigorous Steve on YouTube, you can search for it. Or I've tagged him in the title. So you can just click that link and it'll take you over to his channel. If you're interested in any of the stuff we've talked about tonight. Um, he goes very deep down the rabbit hole of uh, bodybuilding, pharmacology, uh, like aging, you know, health uh, supplements, stuff that you can get over the counter and stuff that you might need a script for, or maybe a friend that brews it, or you can learn it yourself. But um, yeah, like a wealth of resource. So check out Steve's channel. And dude, man, you know, you're welcome back anytime. Really enjoy talking to you, man. Anytime. This was, this was great. One and a half hours flew by. So thanks so much for having me, Rich. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate it. I hope thanks, to talk man. to you again soon. We'll see thanks. you soon.